You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR and Stick Together would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, the true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land that we are broadcasting from. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and future and recognise any Aboriginal people that are listening to the broadcast today and any elders of other communities who are listening. Welcome to Stick Together. My name is James Brennan. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode today. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with support of the Community Radio Foundation. And I want to thank them for their continued support in putting together this show. And we're able to bring this show to people right across the country. And it is the only show that focuses on union news, worker stories and social justice issues across the nation. So thanks a lot for tuning in today. On this week's episode, I've interviewed Sam Wallman, who has put out a book earlier this year. It's now into its uh, second run of its of its. Um, print and it will uh, no doubt be continued to be printed and and published. Uh, It's a fantastic book that documents some of the uh, important labour struggles both uh, historically and some of the current ones as well in a comic form and as I mentioned in the interview it's a really great way to get other people who may not be reading um, political books uh, like that to be engaged in some of our history and some of unionism in the country. So um, yeah, I would definitely, if you don't have a copy already, do yourself a favor and buy a copy, buy a copy for some of your comrades at work. So here's the interview with Sam. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Stick Together. Thanks a lot for uh, listening in and thanks to all the other producers for the great shows that they are producing. and. On this week's show, we're speaking with Sam Warman, who's produced a a book that I I think probably a lot of listeners have come across. You know, they've either, maybe you've already heard Sam speak about it, but I hope that you've already seen the book. It's called Our Members Be Unlimited. And I think the first thing that strikes you about this book, and we're actually recording in Black Spark today, so we're surrounded by books. Um, But it's such a beautiful looking book, and I think... You know, the imagery on the front, obviously, um, I don't know if it's inspired by where I think a place Sam does a lot of his work, but certainly to me, it reminds me a lot of Trades Hall building in uh, in Carlton, the oldest continuous working Trades Hall, trade union building in the country. The and planet. The planet. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, huh? It's a beautiful book, Sam, and I think um, it's not just the um, imagery throughout it, which I think, um, you know, you've become quite notorious for providing such great um, you know posters t-shirt designs and everything for for unions and campaigns across the country now Um, but I think the messaging through that the way that you're able to tell stories of you know previous union and workers struggles to current uh, things around um, you know like Amazon and, and places like that but in a really succinct way and I think to an audience that perhaps might not pick up some other union books. Yeah, that's always the plan. And that, that, that kind of cuts to a funny thing about the cover that you picked up on that no one else has mentioned, which is echoed by the, even the architecture of Trades Hall, which I've read that at the time that it was built, it was pretty controversial because a lot of the workers were like, this is so fancy. Like, mm. this looks like a boss's building, like these grand columns and, you know, time flattens everything. And now you look at it and you're just like, oh, beautiful old building. But at the time it was 
there were big debates about whether they should have this really grand, ornate structure for a grassroots movement such as unionism. And the argument was like, no, we need to be taken seriously and we make the wheels turn and <clears throat> we should have gravity in our institutions as well. So um, whether that was the right call or not, who knows, but I do kind of try and echo because I think around that same time, probably like early, mid 1800s in England, there were these beautiful emblems that trade unions started making, um, borrowing from classical art and architecture and these really beautiful um, columns and beams and yeah, very architectural looking drawings with earnest looking workers standing. And um, they do kind of, yeah, look a little bit like elite in some ways. And I read a historical document that was saying, again, it was just like an attempt to give some dignity to, because again, it's hard for us to see how workers saw themselves and their class back then, but there wasn't like a pride or an identity in being mm. working class really. So drawing those emblems was an attempt to um, imbue like a sense of dignity or something. But now when I draw, I draw them all cracked. And But I, I love that, that it has cracks on it as well, because that is what the pillars at Trades Hall look like. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it does, uh, you know, embody what is a, a working history as well, because it, although, you know, I think that it is really important to have that, you know, the beautiful building that it was at the time and the fact that it was originally built with the purpose of, of being a literary institute so that, you know, workers, a lot of whom were, you know, illiterate at the time, to be able to go and learn about, you know, current history, to learn about, you know, the history that's come before them. And obviously, you know, the building and that whole area area is, um, you know, so much kind of a part of that eight-hour day movement and things as well, that there was a, a place that, you know, and hopefully still today that workers can can go and learn about struggle and be involved in it yeah totally like even the what was it the working man's college which gave political education and i think a, a one manifestation of that went on to become rmit which mm. obviously still dominates that neighborhood as well and but it's yeah it's all just kind of lost to time and like they literally uncovered a, a mural of the um working man's college <clears throat> a couple of years ago just doing a paint job and then they mm -hmm some architectural students, I think from Melbourne Uni, like restored it and lovingly presented it. But that's kind of a bit of a metaphor really. That... Yeah, the council chambers as well as like, there's a lot of the old artwork and stuff in there that's really um, been able to be brought out through the restoration works. And But you know, yes. we, we can't turn this into a whole um, episode just about <laughs> Trades Hall. Yeah. Um, but I think that it is something, certainly for me as well, that that building is a place that really shaped my political um, education as an activist in, in going to meetings there and, and meeting other people and, uh, you know, being able to have debates, real debates with people about political history, about unionism, yeah. seeing huge meetings in there or, you know, the people spilling over the bar and, um, you know, after work choices rallies or, mm. or other events there. Uh, I guess, you know, how much of, you know, you've got a studio that you do a lot of your work through at Trades Hall. How much do you think that the building and its history is seeped into the work for the book oh god i never really thought about it but i mean i literally drew a lot of it there and just having that anchor there with the studio has just embedded me a bit more in this movement so yeah it's undeniable i guess and like even just we have relationships with other artists that were also in our art studio in the 70s like um mary lunig and john hughes and jeff hogg and that's really valuable to us to have that link to 
the older artists that were doing stuff in the 80s and I mean I wish we could go back further like because there have been artists in the trades hall for over 150 years but anyway sorry we don't want to just talk about trades hall but I no, do I think, think like yeah. it is like threaded through the pages like the, literally the last chapter of the book starts with zooming out of the office of trades hall so and unfortunately at John Curtin so hopefully it doesn't become a tombstone mm. yeah but I, I think um, it is still it's so embedded into the kind of work that we might all do as unions. And, and I guess it's, it's so great to have that legacy still there as part of the struggles that we're involved in. You know, what's the journey for you? Like, how did you um, become so passionate about unionism? Um, I've been around on the left for ages and was sort of involved. I guess I came at stuff through Enviro movements and or anarchist circles, but kind of got frustrated that we felt like we were part of like subcultures more than trying to build mass movements and I, I think it, yeah like you mentioned work choices like going to one of those rallies and just being like wow this is just full of regular ass people mm. like this is the people that we need if we're going to change stuff like we need everyone on board um and then learning about the green bands and seeing that beautiful rocking the foundations film and linking that with my environmental politics and mm. just being like ah oh, okay this is this is where everyone is. Mm. This is where millions of people are. But it's still, I guess, that, you know, there can often be, and you know, I guess a criticism of some of those movements, of some of the anarchist movements, that you know, the more lifestyleist kind of anarchist movements, you know, not all anarchism and, and you know, obviously true anarchism is, is not is not that. But No, I didn't mean any shade to, to no, our, no, no. our comrades, the anarchists. And I guess the environment movement as well, like a criticism can sometimes be of those movements that... It's not, it's not based in, in class politics. And, and so, you know, I guess coming out of that to, to shape to unions, I think is, um, is great. And it's really interesting of that kind of moment of struggle with work choices. We haven't, we don't really have that same kind of battle at the moment. And, no. you know, I wonder, I guess, again, kind of like the big social movement happening for young people in particular, and people that are maybe first getting involved in activism is around environmental politics. But we don't we don't have necessarily the union movement to kind of wrap around that or to push them towards that. No, there are good forces that are trying for it. Like we had United Workers Union uh, members in I think it was in Spotswood that walked off the job to come to one of the school strikes for climate. Um, and you are having like some interesting things happening about the right to strike using climate legislation. Like uh, if, if there's extreme heat or bushfire smoke, little mm. little sparks like that. But you're right, it's not like a general trend um i think we're yeah a little bit too reliant on the electoral solutions rather than the bottom-up stuff personally um but i think it is a way to like explain to environmentalists why they should care about this stuff it's just mm. like the, we're all like making the world we're, every day we're making all the wheels turn and we can make them turn a different way if we all decide to so that's the key to why i think unions are good is the um the title of the book you know our members be unlimited is that perhaps a nod to the kind of like big union of, of um, the iww sort of you know idea about unionism or you know more of an idea around the collective you know union movement itself um, no, I, I love the old IWW in a romantic way, but I don't think like I'm a bit skeptical about all the mergers and the mega unions of mm -hmm. our current era. Yeah, yeah. Like I can see why they argued the case. Like when you could do solidarity strikes, you'd be like, okay, well, 
you know, CFMEU and MUA, like pit to port, those arguments, that's appealing. But if you can't strike very easily, what does it mean to have a mega union? Um, but I think I still do like the idea of like one big, non-discriminatory, inclusive organization, whether that is one union or like a lot of little ones. Um, I just like that title because it's just so ambitious and and so at odds with the exclusivity that we were talking about before that you see in a lot of left politics, mm. um, which I think unions can subvert. It's just like, no, you can join. Like, Well, maybe not if you're a bigot or a fascist or whatever, but mm-hmm. everyone else... Well, it's probably still some of those in there anyway. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, and I guess, you know, just the the nature of the book itself, you know, being a, um, you know, a comic or a graphic novel, um, you know, I, always, I like that term graphic novels, <laughs> like people don't want to say that they're reading yeah. a comic or something. I know, they try to make it sound like adult. Yeah, it's a mature I, I'm comic. glad I sidestepped that because I don't like the term graphic novel. I'm, I'm proud of the like lowbrow aspect of comics. Mm-hmm. And But the good thing is this book is not a novel. It's not a graphic novel. So even if people really want to call it a graphic mm-hmm. novel, that would just be a category error. So it is just a long comic or whatever. Well, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Obviously, you know, over the past, I don't know, 20 years or so, there's been a real resurgence in comics coming, you know, much more into the mainstream and then um, graphic novels taking up this kind of space as well within that. Yeah. Um, but it, I think, you know, that that part of the kind of book picture or whatever of things is, is I guess, overshadowed by, you know, social media, you know, TV becoming such a, you know, big part of um, people's lives and things like that. And I guess particularly I'm interested, like, for younger people, you know, their minds are kind of warped by a kind of TikTok culture of, like, being Mm. able to only handle kind of small bits of information. And, you know, whether something like your um, comic is going to be much easier for someone to be able to take in these ideas than, you know, sitting down and reading um, Das Kapital. Yes, definitely. Like, I would be very reluctant to write a book. I keep getting in trouble with my publisher for saying that no one reads books anymore. (laughs) But I don't think that many people do read that deeply anymore. But comics are different. Like, I've joked that you can read this and, you like, it'll only take you a day or two, but you still get that smug, I just finished a book feeling. (laughs) And I think that is nice. And Mm. I do think young people will engage with it more readily than they would a textbook. Like, there's just something a bit more playful about googly eyes and bright colors. So I don't think it's insulting to the work to talk about that or there's nothing wrong with things being accessible, especially Mm. if it's not like dumbed down. And yeah, I guess that's the line that you walk with comics trying to, yeah, not doing that. And also just like not being... Because you have to have a very limited word count in order for the page to look appealing, mm-hmm. which is hard to pull off because we're trying to get into some complex stuff in the book. But then if it gets too wordy, it just looks like homework or a chore or something. Mm. So trying to keep it concise, but still um, detailed is a bit of a challenge with comics. Well, I think, you know, there's, you know, maybe an over-education of, of society in, in, you know, in Australia, perhaps, you know, people needing endless degrees of different things and, you know, the way that universities frame how we should be reading and now writing and education and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, I think, the you know, the left itself that, you know, we expect people to, if you say, mm. you know, so what's you, how do you identify yeah. politically? And then I go, okay, well, what, I'm going to need you, you to back that up by, <laughs> yeah. you know, analyzing <laughs> these points in history and yeah. what do you think about this debate? And, 
you know, I think a lot of the time it's really unhelpful and turns a lot of people away. There's certainly time to have Yeah, that's not appealing well. to a broad base of Yeah, people. so, I, you know, I think that it's, um, I think it shouldn't be insulting at all. It's the opposite is like actually a way to engage people in debates about unions and, and to give them some of that history, I think is an amazing gift. An artist is someone who says something complicated in a simple way and then an mm. academic is someone who says something simple in a complicated way. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we just have to find some sweet middle ground like theory is still important and it depends on what level of discussion you're in like if you're in an organization or involved in strategy or something i can see why people want us to have like a three-dimensional understanding of these ideologies but if we're trying to like bring new people in which is what we should be doing with density so low like we do just have to make an inviting um appealing looking movement like Mm. we can't look like all just nerds you know (laughs) (laughs) even though we are yeah um what's your favorite what was your favorite kind of story from from the book that you're able to to tell i kind of i like that the pink bands got a head nod in there because we kind of like we're increasingly we're relearning the green bands Mm. um but pink bands like the queer solidarity that the blf did back at that time like pre mardi gras riots and before anything cohered around gay rights um we had construction workers striking for queer students and teachers and downing tools and getting results for them like mm. and winning that argument like a hard argument within the union to support this um i liked giving that a little head nod especially if the book's going to be read in other countries i was like yeah this is a cool thing australia did mm. <laughs> and obviously you know i guess in in recent times we've had some of those mainstream organizations like unions that support things like um, same-sex marriage and, and issues like that but where do you think they would be in supporting something that is you know, a little bit more radical than, um, you know, kind of gay version of a heteronormative <laughs> relationship. Yeah, well, I don't hear much about, like, the right to strike or anything like that coming out of the very unions that are the most persecuted. So, yeah, mm. it's, does it does it suit the electoral cycle? Um, does it fit, like, a small-l liberal um, framework? And, yeah, is it going to make some nice social media? I'm being very cynical, mm. but, I mean, I would, I would love to see some of the harder campaigns being fought out i guess that's where you know like you mentioned and that you know the pink bands and the green bands came from the blf which was heavily influenced by a lot more radical politics of you know um maoism and, and socialism and things like that yeah we've um, only really got the communists leading the mua in sydney and it's only yeah. a couple of them left yeah so you know i guess the framework of unionism that we have in australia today is one that is so intertwined with the Labour Party and, and often, you know, even with it, not that a progressive element of the Labour Party itself. You know, and I guess it's always an interesting point for radicals talking about unionism in Australia today because the unions are not those people, you know, the unions are us, you know, mm. the, the members are the unions and I think, you know, that's something that we should all always be thinking about. But the structures of the unions themselves are an institution that is becomes difficult at times to organise, you know, with and and around totally yeah that's true and that like it's i do try to talk about that in the book the way or like unions are not and have never been homogenous and they're not owned by any worldview or group really it's all always up for grabs so and even like it's it is just it's very messy like even though i have my, my critiques of the alp like quite pointed critiques i don't think there's anything wrong with a union having some relationship with political parties like they can take the boot off the neck and get some good results for mm. members but i just think if it's if you're overstating and you're putting all your eggs in that basket like it's not you're not going to 
build real power. Like it's just a very short-sighted view, but there's just such a, a feedback loop from union leadership to ALP leadership that it's like almost one and the same. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure you will be um, a bit shy about this, but the book has been, you know, so successful that's already in its second run already and you know potentially will be you know more more copies to come so if anyone uh you know doesn't have a copy yet they need to uh, make sure they get to bookstores and you know if you're in melbourne go to new international bookshop or um you know you can order it online and, and other places but you know support your local bookshops if you can but what you know and you've traveled around the country i've seen photos of you at some amazing union halls and uh buildings and things like that what's been some of your favorite parts of of telling the story of, of the book and being able to tell some of the stories of the union struggles that you talk about in the book? I mean, I would just be very uncomfortable with every aspect of this if it wasn't that it was like this very shared project. And it's felt like that at the launches, like in Sydney, the MUA, some comrades there like made an organizing committee for the launch. And then Rafu, all these um, workers from a bookstore that I drew a lot of, you know, with donated labor, I drew heaps of drawings for their, through their strike. And they returned that favor by helping um, work the, the launch. And um, there was, yeah, literally an organizing committee of like maybe a dozen people helping mm. this beautiful event happen smoothly. And I kind of just got to chat to people and yeah, do a little presentation. And it was just nice to all be together in a positive way because we're always kind of getting together to be grumpy about something. So, <laughs> and that's why places like this where we're sitting, Black Spark, like just in Trades Hall, you know, just having places that have a social dimension that allow us to actually be humans together instead of utilitarian like mm. activists or whatever so it's just been nice to like yeah have a social aspect to what was also just a very isolated thing to develop because um, mm. it took like five years of being huddled up and drawing and, and now it's like everyone's book which is sick and i guess you know that model of how you're saying that the sydney event came together is, is kind of like seeing union unionism in action to yeah. launch a union book totally everyone amazing. clicked in the gears we yeah. all got full nerd yeah, <laughs> doing a committee that's it yeah <laughs> well that's awesome yeah and i think um you know every now and then there's some people that you know come out of the movement itself and you know like yourself like you say you've been involved in the left for a long time and and you know i think that there's a lot of work that you've done to support campaigns and unions throughout that time which you know i hope that uh, all these organizations remember in being able to buy your book and <laughs> return that favor not that you know that's not why you're doing it but no you know, yeah help it get into the members hands hell yeah exactly that's great. yeah and i think um you know like we were talking before we started recording about jeff sparrow and you know it's like ian mcintyre and you know there are some um great authors that have come and you know artists that are able to tell our stories and i think that that's really important to be able to have people come from the movement to tell our stories. They're not someone coming to talk about unionism or the left, you know, from a voyeuristic way. They're people that are entrenched in the movement to mm. tell our stories. That is heard. important. Yeah, I think those people, and there are increasing numbers, like, I mean, Workers Art Collective, and there's like a dozen artists in that group that are committed to telling these stories, which is, it is important because like delegates and organizers and officials are exhausted like mm. they don't have time to document the wins and the losses so you know no one thinks history is happening mm. at the present moment but it is so i mean i know we look back in the past and we're like why didn't anyone hold on to this or record how that went well or stuffed up yeah i think having writers and artists embedded can definitely help us like see ourselves better but again like the alp you don't want to you don't want to overstate the importance of the artist or the writer or whatever because 
it can almost become like what is the saying putting the cart before the horse or, yeah like it's just like one part of this massive machinery and don't want to get too much props for just sitting around drawing goofy pictures <laughs> but i think you know like it is important like you're saying about being able to document history but it, it can also you know, you mentioned about unions getting the book into members' hands. It's helping to shape the current history as well. And, you know, I think um, we've had a few discussions recently about how important it is. And, um, you know, and, and Ian's documentation on some of his books about documenting past um, movements and struggles and things. Sometimes you read those and it's like there's only five or ten people there. But reading it, it sounds amazing and it had an impact Sometimes when we're involved in something, we don't see the importance and significance of yeah. it until somebody else points it out. Definitely. Well, even we just talked about the pink bands, but like that was maybe three strikes, probably two. And just at two workplaces over 50 years ago, there was so many, like, what are we like? There's 3% as many strikes as there were back then. So there would have been so much going on. They probably didn't think that was such mm. a big deal. And now I'm sitting here. It's like my favorite thing that like inspires me the most about this movement so yeah you can't tell what's important and what also what's gonna even though our losses like you lose and lose and lose and lose and then it sometimes it works so but there's stuff to be learned from the failures as well but Mm. you don't feel like that when you lose yeah and i think it's something that we um as a left can struggle with being able to identify when we have one because you know the system is still there there might be lots of other issues that are still happening but yeah you know we can celebrate those small wins along the way yeah and we're also just too self-effacing <laughs> yeah yeah well thanks a lot sam it's been awesome to chat with you and uh, i really would encourage uh people to i think not just um you know listeners to to read the book but i think it's something that would be really great you know it's like uh if you have a friend who's not really that into a certain type of music and you feel like you've got a track to play to them <laughs> that's going to get them into that genre you know if you've got someone you've been chatting to at work or a friend that mm. you know trying to get them over the line in terms of maybe you want to join the union or you know you just want to have that political you know open a bit more political discussion with them i've got tendencies (laughs) yeah this will be a great book to really encourage them to learn a little bit more and maybe they will you know take this and become unionists and activists and they might learn a little bit more about some of the ideas and the theory and the struggles that are highlighted in the book totally thank you yeah and if anyone like there's a union member discount so that scribe thankfully allowed um and organized so if anyone sends me a message i'll send you the code it gets you 25 percent off for all union members awesome thanks sam no worries thank you that's it for stick together this week i want to thank sam for being guest on today's show it was a really great chat for him to go in depth uh on some of the stories from the book and some of his process as well so i really appreciate uh his time and thanks to the uh, Community Radio Network with support from the Community Radio Foundation and 3CR for supporting us to put these stories together uh, to focus on these kind of issues from union news and workers' stories, social justice issues, and I really, as I said at the start, recommend people to go out and purchase Sam's book. And yeah, if you want to um, catch up on any of our other programs from the other great producers, Podcast is available at 3cr.org.au, wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And if you want to contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. If you've got a uh, dispute, struggle happening in your workplace, you've got an issue that you want us to cover, please get in touch and we'd love to hear from you. My name's James Brennan. Uh, Thanks a lot for tuning in. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, stick together.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.